Ahoy, and welcome in to another episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Magler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health treatment and talk about situations that I've been dealing with in my private practice as a social worker or in the school where I work. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-toothed Patterdale Terrier, and we just got back from a walk on a chilly day. It's March 26th when I'm recording this, and before we went outside for our walk, it was blowing snow flurries. And for many years, for 15 years, um, I was a high school lacrosse coach and I'd have to brave (laughs) the different weather that we get in the Chicago area in the spring. And uh, it was often rather unpleasant. And it made me think about looking at the weather today, just if I were to go back to coaching and I often fantasize about that, right now I'm focused on being the best dad and best therapist and whatnot I can be. And I realized in 2014 that I couldn't be both an A-plus dad and an A-plus coach, so I stepped away from coaching after that season. But I fantasize about going back. And I think about, if I were to go back to coaching, how would I define success? In Illinois, at the high school level, in the last, you know, 2001 was the last time that a team other than Nutrier or Loyola won the state championship. They pretty much trade off. Sometimes they go on a long run of one winning the championship or the other. But if you're not Nutria or Loyola, mathematically speaking, you're probably not going to win the state championship. You might make it there. I made it there in 2012 as a coach of uh, the school where I work. But winning is something else. So in sports, we often define success as winning a championship. So if it's not going to be that, and again, in most sports, Most teams, the vast, vast, vast majority of them, are not going to end the season with a victory. They are going to end the season with a loss. So how do we define victory if losing is also going to be part of that equation? And I think about it now that I would define victory as how much laughter did we have that season? Did we achieve our potential? And did we feel good while we were doing it? In 2011, I think I had the most talented team in the state. And we lost a new trigger in the playoffs, as we one does. But I felt disappointed because I hadn't taken my team. And, and I think that's really the mark of a great coach. A great coach gets more than their team's potential out of them. And I had not gotten all my team's potential out of them. But more than that, I failed my team as a coach because they didn't have fun. We were a really, really talented team, and about midway through the season, we realized that we just weren't getting what we could get. And we had two options. We could either squeeze the kids harder, make the practices longer, work more, or we could ease off, just try to make it more fun and see if things took care of themselves. And my assistant coaches and I decided, let's squeeze harder. Let's do three-hour practices. Let's do everything. And the poor kids were miserable. And so I failed that team on a couple of levels that year, even though I look back at it as a successful season because we we did sometimes achieve our potential. We did have some laughter, but I had a lot more laughter on teams that were sometimes had a lot less potential. In everything in life, we are not going to be successful unless we have an adequate description in our own minds of what a success looked like. This week, I've been dealing with a number of clients who've been gaslighting themselves 
and questioning whether or not they were entitled to their feelings, especially around trauma and whatnot. I just got off a meeting with a client and, you know, she gave me permission to talk about our session today, but she talked about a dream where she had. She's a college student and in her dream, there was a rumor going around her campus that she had sexually assaulted someone. And she had gone up to her friends and they didn't believe her when she said she hadn't sexually assaulted anyone. And that feeling of not being believed was so devastating to her. She is a sexual assault survivor and she's experienced this feeling of not being believed about things, but more, she starts to question her own memory. She remembered talking to a boyfriend of hers when she was young, freshman or sophomore in high school, and he had sexually assaulted her. And again, that's we think of sexual assaults as happening between strangers or you know whatnot, but very frequently they're happening between two people who care about each other. And when she confronted him about it, he said, "Well, you know, you've often pressured me for sex, but too, so kind of like we're even." And years later, that's staying with her. And this wondering and this fear, am I also like that? Am I not recognizing the damage that I've done to people? I think it's come up because on her campus, there is a girl who uh, is queer, but has, you know, rumors have been spreading that this girl has sexually assaulted people. And, but she's like, there was one rumor about her doing this to one, maybe two girls. But my client was like, but we're not saying anything about all, we're making all excuses for all these guys who are doing this. And how are we choosing who to have our outrage with? Why are we deciding to say, we're canceling this person, but Michael Jackson is still okay? When we're saluting Poland right now for taking in all these Ukrainian refugees, but we're choosing to forget that it was the same Poland who was turning away Syrian refugees just a few months ago. How do we reconcile the fact that good people do bad things and bad people do good things? More importantly, how do we trust our memory? How do we know if what we actually experienced was real? Again, I was talking to a different student. He was saying how he was talking to his father about his trauma that he experienced. And, you know, his dad saying, like, don't ever say that. You haven't experienced trauma. And him questioning were the things that I went through Do they really count? And this college student that resonating with her, are the things that I went through, the things that I experienced, should they count? And I make it really simple. (laughs) I say always, if they would count for somebody else, would they count in your mind? And if the answer is yes, then they would count for you. We can recognize that the memory is a very faulty instrument And that what we remember may not be exactly how things went down. But it doesn't really matter because we're not going to get a time machine and be able to fix it. We have to say, based on what we know, what we've done, you know, where are we going in the future? My client from today, she was talking about how she was a person and is a person who has always loved love. She's kind of a romantic at heart. But she's now a bit of a skeptic and cynical and looking for every danger in a new situation. And she has a hard time letting herself get to a place where relationships are anything more than casual. She just can't access it. And I think her experiences 
romantically. And also, she talked about how she was really wronged in a coaching experience when her sport, a coach literally bullied her and turned the team against her. And then when she quit, people on the team kind of bullied her even further, even though she had been this talented athlete. But going through that experience, feeling like, well, this person though, this coach, you know, she still follows her on social media. This coach has gone through things where the coach lost a family member to suicide in the last year and has a child. And there's a part of my client that wants to reach out and write a letter to say, what you did to me was so damaging and so wrong. And yet, would it do any good? Would it do any good to maybe potentially harm this person who's caring so much right now? I encouraged her to write a letter to the coach. And she said, I think we actually did that exercise a couple years ago. I said, okay, well, let's dust it off. Because often my first draft of a letter is not intended to be given. It's intended just to get it out. But then we can adjust it to actually make a version of it that we could give to that person to say, hey, if you're going to be a mom, I want you to know these things so that your daughter never has to experience this. Because chances are that coach wakes up every morning and looks in the mirror and tries to see a good person there, wants to see a good person. She will, it will be hard medicine for her to hear that one of her athletes had a bad experience with her. I know it was for me, and it has been. I may or may not have talked about the podcast, but uh, there was an article written about me in a local internet newspaper saying that I was a sadistic racist because I had organized a mock lynching of one of my players when I was a lacrosse coach in 2002. A man who's about 30 now, uh, he wrote this memoir of his life online about when he was homeless in high school and how I, who was his coach, had gotten players to, because he was late so much, I'd said to him, listen, you can either be off the team because you've been late too many times, or you can just take whatever punishment your teammates come up with for you. And then he said the, the, the boys on the team decided they, they wanted to whip lacrosse balls at him, but I stopped them from doing that and said they could whip tennis balls at him. And then they tied him to a fence and they had him take off his shirt and they whipped tennis balls at him. And then after they'd hit him, they'd say, they make him say, thank you, sir. May I have another? And because he was the, in his recollection, the only African-American student on the team, it felt like a mock lynching. And this is about 20 years ago. So when this news, and I say that term lightly, organization reached out to contact me about it. I, I didn't really remember much of it, but I did remember that he was late all the time. And I did, you know, say, hey, you can be off the team or your teammates can come up with a punishment. And they may have, you know, they, they did whip tennis balls at him, but he was never tied up and he had his equipment on. And hitting each other with tennis balls was a thing that we did at practice every day. We played dodgeball with them every single day. So it wasn't like something that would have been out of the ordinary. But that's no excuse. And that if his experience was to feel singled out, and if he felt that like part of it was because of his race, as I recall, he wasn't the only African-American student on the, uh, on the team. But the point is, it doesn't matter. I failed as a coach because lacrosse is a really fun sport. And if he remembers anything other than fun, I fail. It's not about casting blame back on him. That's how we should respond when a person, even if my recollections are different, even if my intent was different, I can guarantee you 
There are people who I've coached or people who I've counseled or my own kids or my wife, who, my parents, anybody. Romantic partners who have had, it doesn't matter what my intent was. It matters only what their experience was. That's what we have to acknowledge. So if a person comes to me out of my past and says, hey, you made me feel this way, what I have to respond with is, I hate that that's your memory of me. What can I do going forward? What can I, how can I take that hard medicine and learn from it and not diminish? Now it's possible, sometimes people sub somebody out in their memory that they think I was their guidance counselor and really I wasn't, or, you know, and that's that would stink. But the point is now for them, how do they heal and move past that event, move past their anger and start to say, how can they be open and what will success look like for them? Gaslighting themselves and saying, maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe it didn't really matter is not going to help them move forward. If every time you see a Mickey Mouse watch, you get the shivers and the creeps, then it doesn't matter that it's not Mickey Mouse's fault, but we got to do something about that. We have to not say, oh, well, just because, you know, you got scared when they sang the hot dog song on the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, you know, again, don't beat yourself up and say that feeling is stupid. Feelings are real and they matter, even if they are sometimes illogical or they're based in a mixture of events. And it doesn't matter that this dream that my client had, it can tell us something. And that client's a big fan of reading tarot, just like tarot can tell us something. It's what we're gonna, what resonates for us from it. And now where do we wanna go? So I asked this client, saying, you know, when you're, let's flash forward 10 years. 10 years from now, how do you wanna be able to feel about romantic relationships? She said, well, I, I have this issue where I'm kind of all in or all out. And I'm a, I, I feel like if I tap into loving love again, letting myself feel it, it will be all encompassing. And well, is it possible for it not to be that way with you? Or if it is, can we find a way to make that safe? That's really the message. That's the lesson we have to have. Talking to a different client yesterday about her desire to maybe get back into a relationship where there has been damage, there has been pain. And the difficulty of knowing that friends and family are going to be skeptical. It's like, hey, we, we're not living for them. I, I often think about Hillary Clinton and how she had to have the entire world know about the infidelity of her husband. And I remember being in college and people thinking, oh my gosh, as soon as Bill Clinton's out of the White House, they're going to get divorced. There is no way. You know, she's staying with him for the good of, you know, the team. But, you know, then they'll split up. And then they got out of the White House and they didn't split up. And what you realize is that their partnership was theirs. And they're still married today. And it's working for them. And it doesn't mean that she's not angry. But people, I mean, people on the political right hated her anyway, just because she was who she was. But some people on the left were like, wow, you kind of betrayed us. We thought you were this strong woman and you're gonna let this happen to you. And I think she's a super strong woman in that she didn't let anybody decide for her what was right for her. She didn't out of shame move away from a relationship that she was still getting value from because nobody was in that relationship but her and him. And nobody knew what was best for her. What we have to decide in any situation is going forward, what is the healthiest thing for me? 
his client said, you know, I there's the challenge is sometimes there's the thing that I want to do and the thing that I think is actually the healthiest thing for me to do. She's like, I want to meet up with my ex-boyfriend. I miss him. I want to connect with him. I want to give him another chance right now. But I know he hasn't really fully earned it yet. So I'm just going to communicate with him via text. Because if I get together with him and if I talk with him, which is what I want to do, uh, I might get swayed. And I'll just feel so empty afterwards. The client who had the dream who I talked to today, she was talking about how she got together with an ex. And every time she gets together with him, just to, they had lunch, that's all. And But she feels this longing and emptiness, this melancholy. I was listening to a recent Brene Brown podcast. And the guest was talking about her book on the craving for bittersweet, that craving for sometimes melancholy. Why do we drive past and ex's house who we haven't even talked to in a decade what are we looking for there it doesn't matter sometimes we want to have a little melancholy and that's okay as long as it isn't preventing you from getting what's healthy for you going forward so again everybody wants to be successful the first step to being successful is defining success do not define success as i'm going to be happy every day all the time i'm going to be perfect Look realistically and say, with the landscape of my life, what can I hope for? And we don't want to be settling, but we do want to say, okay, you know, why not me to even the biggest, most audacious goals? So I had a superintendent who talked about BHAG goal, big, hairy, audacious goals. I don't know why we needed the hairy, but that's okay. Um, but let's set our goals gigantic, but then say, and say, why not me? So again, every year when I was coaching, hey, I would like to win a state championship. But I would also set goals and set a vision of success that I knew we could attain. So again, if your drive, your vision is say, I want to have a 60-year marriage or a 60-year partnership, great. But then also say every day, how can I make this connection matter and work for me? I was talking to a client said, when my wife and I met with the priest who married us, we had to go do several meetings. We had to meet with another couple. We had to do a pre-Cana class, which I think were, was all valuable in some ways. But <laughs> a lot of the questions, uh, the, the tougher challenges just came up you know, during the years of marriage, not, not in those classes, but I think it's wise. Anyway, he said to us, so you two want to get married, huh? The priest. We said, yeah. He said, okay, well, in my mind, you guys are already married then. The key is not getting married on you know, August 11th, 2007. It's... Marrying each other every day. Saying today and this day forward, no matter what came in the past, is this what's best and right for me? And if you can't be the healthiest version of yourself and you can't do what's best for you, and again, if you have children, your children, by being together, sometimes it's the right thing to move apart. When we plant two trees, we might plant them right next to each other and sometimes they'll grow together and sometimes they'll grow in different directions. And what they might need in order to survive and get sun is to be separated, move away. And that doesn't make anybody a terrible person. So what are we doing for ourselves going forward that's going to make us into the healthiest person we can be? So stop gaslighting yourself. Stop questioning whether your trauma, your experiences matter and whether you're entitled to the feelings that you're feeling. 
when you're asking yourself that, you say, "What I? How would I feel? Think anyone else should feel?" And then start to define and start instead of looking at avoiding negatives, what would success look like? Mariska has successfully cleaned her paws quite well and recovered from our cold, chilly walk during this podcast. So that's her message for you: clean your, keep your paws clean, and do whatever it takes to get you through this world. You're just not allowed to die. Until we talk again, if you have a question, email me at daniel.magleratlive.com, and I look forward to connecting again. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't have to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Paws for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog, Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.